This is the future. And humanity is all but extinct. First they start skipping prescribed drug dosages. Then they begin touching. I volunteer as tribute! You can stop this. You can change things. I know that there's something more. Then we've only got one choice. We fight. Fight the future with Dan and Paul. Welcome to Fight the Future with Dan and Paul. I'm Dan. And I'm Paul. And our guest this week is nobody. Just the two of us. Yeah, just like at the beginning. Old school. Back to the origin. And uh, Where we started. And this, this week we're going to be talking about a movie called Turbo Kid. And this is our last dystopia ever. Yeah, yeah. And also... It may be like our goriest dystopia ever, I think. Mm-hmm. It's bloody, it's gory, it's gritty. Mm-hmm. This one, the human body is just not worth much because it is chopped into pieces on a regular basis. Right. It's a Canadian dystopia. Mm-hmm. Which we don't really hear too much of. Yeah, I don't know whether or not it's set in Canada. It's ambiguous, but it is made by Canadian filmmakers and shot in Quebec. The Canadian dystopia would be like a a barren winter wasteland, probably. With no Tim Hortons. Yeah. Or maybe or maybe it would be only Tim Hortons. That would be the dystopia. <laughs> oh, that Tim Hortons takes over the government. Yeah. And that all stores are now Tim Hortons. Everybody has roll up the rim. Roll up the wind to live. <laughs> uh, the double-double. Is the most feared punishment. <laughs> that involves doing something to you twice. Twice. Yeah, like Jacob Tutu as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's make this as Canadian as possible. Alienate all American listeners. <laughs> I have to figure out how to work in alligator pie and the friendly giant into this. Mr. Dress Up. Sharon Lois and Bram are some of the overlords as well. So many Canadian references, people. This could have used a few more. This could have used a Don Cherry cameo or something. Although, yeah. to be fair, Michael Ironside as the evil overlord it looks exactly like Don Cherry. Just with he slightly does. less garish outfits. Yeah, yeah. You can imagine, yeah, Don Cherry actually could make a pretty good, like, head of evil gang. Every scene he would have a different ridiculous outfit on. Right, which is what happens on Hockey Night in Canada. He does have a different... Exactly, yeah. And so his henchmen would all have, like, brightly colored suits as well. Pow. Biff. One time on Hockey Night in Canada, I saw he was wearing, like, a lime green suit. And halfway through, the camera guys or whatever started just keying against it and showing, like, <laughs> videos and stuff <laughs> on his suit. <laughs> That's excellent. For the very last time, we'll talk about the setting, the plausibility, scariness. How would they do and hope for the future of this dystopia of Turbo Kid? The setting. The opening voiceover for this movie says, This is the future. The world as we know it is gone. Acid rain has left the land barren and the water toxic. Scarred by endless wars, 
Humanity struggles to survive in the ruins of the old world, frozen in an everlasting nuclear winter. This is the future. This is the year 1997. So this is, this is kind of like an alternate history thing, I guess. It's a different version of what 1997 could have been like. We were not told exactly where things diverge, right? Like what happened differently in this world than happened in our world. Mm-hmm. It, it's sort of uh, almost like a perfect storm of end of the world nastiness happened. You know, we've got the acid rain, we've got endless wars, we've got some sort of nuclear apocalypse. Robots? Robots. We find out later that there's some sort of evil robot around. So... Perhaps a robot uprising of some kind that isn't mentioned explicitly. Yeah, pretty much everything that could have gone wrong has gone wrong. Yeah, humanity's been hit by a few different things at once. Perhaps there was some kind of a nuclear missile exchange with Russia in the 1980s. Mm. So the technology that we see is about, would you say, the mid-80s, 1985? Yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah, we have cassettes, we have Walkman. So... We see the kid who's a teenage orphan, scavenger mm-hmm. in the wasteland. Or he's not in the wasteland. He's on the outskirts of the wasteland. Right. There seems to be kind of a no man's land. In fact, he has like a, a sort of a hand-drawn map that he follows quite religiously of sort of areas that it is very bad to go into. His world is very small. He's got the playground. He's got the town. And then there's where Zeus is, headquarters of Zeus. Right. I mean, the town doesn't, it seems to be basically just like a building mm-hmm. that people congregate. It's sort of more of like a bar or something. It actually reminds me a lot of A Boy and His Dog. There's like the movie theater that is kind of a neutral zone, I guess. Yeah, where people from all different areas come together to trade. There's some arm wrestling that happens. It appears that arm wrestling is an important part of their culture. Right. So there's a a very brutal kind of arm wrestling that happens where there's brands on either side that are heated up to red hot. And if you're forced down too far in any direction, that person is branded, presumably Mm -hmm. shamed forever. It's tough, too, because the brand isn't even like on the table. So you don't even have to like fully lose before you get branded. It's quite nasty. Mm -hmm. A lot of body armor in this world because it can get rough at any moment. Right. Everyone has various improvised weapons. But not a lot of, like, guns or things like that. Right. So a lot of, like, bats with nails attached to them and stuff like that. Yeah, you were speculating. We watched this together via Skype. I'm in Italy mm-hmm. and Paul's in Victoria, British Columbia. You were speculating that bullets might be very hard to come by right. in this world. Having and being able to use a gun is a symbol of status. And in fact, probably being shot by a gun (laughs) is considered to be pretty... It's like, oh, he must have been important. Somebody actually bothered to shoot him with a gun. There's still corpses around from whatever disaster there was. Sometimes we see a a helmet with a skull inside. Mm -hmm. The bodies seem to be of approximately similar vintage in the sense that like, it seems like that there is something that happened that made a whole bunch of people die all at once. Mm-hmm. There's uh, toxic fumes in some places, but no real radiation per se. No. Have you noticed that none of our dystopias really have radiation because it's like such a bummer? It's a bummer and it's not, you know, visually interesting. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing visual about it. It just kills you very, very slowly. Yeah, well, and 
in a horrible way that's kind of unpredictable. So there's no cars. Transport is generally by BMX bike. Even mm-hmm. the most ferocious of villains. There's some people have like armor and stuff on their bikes to protect them. And the kid has his own bike that he's manufactured from spare parts. Mm-hmm. He's got like a list of the rules for survival, which is like always have a supply of water, always have your weapon, and always have your bike with you or your wheels in order to escape. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so water is scarce. Right. It's not a deserty environment, though. It's it's a somewhat grassy, there's trees. Kind of scrubby. Scrubby type of environment with a lot of uh, rocks and dirt. And the bad guy, Zeus, he's a, a local warlord, right? Right. Not only He sort of has claimed this sort of fiefdom and not only demands tribute and stuff from the people in the area, but doesn't also doesn't seem to like it if anybody tries to leave. Hmm. And the area we could generally describe as this side of the wasteland. Right. There's another side which one character just describes as pretty gray, pretty uninteresting, just as desperate. Mm-hmm. I, kinda, I quite like that, actually. It's a very quick way of illustrating that most of the world is probably destroyed just by mm-hmm. saying, I'm from far away, and it's also terrible. Yeah, and Zeus is there with his big complex where he has people fighting to the death in his drained pool. Very grim competitions. And he's the one who supplies all the water to the region. And that's, I guess that's a large basis of his power. I mean, in addition to a bunch of henchmen with knives and stuff. Mm-hmm. In the plot of the movie is the Turbo Kid confronting Zeus to rescue this girl that he just met named Apple. And yeah, and the impression is that if you basically meet anybody else just out in the wasteland, everybody is a dangerous person. You know, anyone could be trying to kill you and take your stuff. Yeah, even this apparently friendly girl. Right, and so he just meets this random girl who's like, hi, how's it going? We should be friends. Uh, Which is, of course, immediately incredibly suspicious. And she puts a tracking device on him right away, too. Right, which is not the best way to make friends, probably. So he first confronts Zeus when he's trying to rescue her, but he shoots her, and we discover that she's, in fact, a robot. Mm -hmm. So this is another element of this world, is that we have humanoid robots. Right. We've got these humanoid robots that are basically indistinguishable from humans, but there's no, like, electricity is extremely hard to come by. At one point, you see there's a guy who's actually, like, pedaling at bicycle to charge up an electric generator it's the only way they have electricity so there doesn't seem to be a lot of like middle ground between the high technology and humanoid robots and people with knives and things that's interesting this dichotomy between cybernetic brains and some kind of interesting biogenetic energy source right so yeah what else can we say about this setting we meet Frederick, who's this champion arm wrestler right and has been roaming the area as well challenging zeus mm-hmm. kind of got a five o'clock shadow and uh the you know cowboy hat and stuff wearing a duster uh, yeah yeah duster and things but he's not actually the main character of the movie you know the main character is the kid 
he i mean he does obviously do a bunch of stuff in the movie and he's got this vendetta against zeus and stuff but his story is sort of peripheral to what's actually going on in the movie yeah zeus is this warlord played by michael ironside with one eye yeah i can't believe we haven't had a michael ironside movie yet have we have he has he shown up in one of our previous movies none he's awesome amazing yeah it's like leave schreiber is not quite a comparison He's pretty great, but he's no Michael Ironside. It's true. I think even Liv Shriver would agree with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, his career is much better than Michael Ironside's, but uh, <laughs> he's still no comparison. He was in Total Recall. He was in Scanners. He was in RoboCop. The group of actors that if there was a real apocalypse, they could probably just step in and take control Starship troopers and everyone would be like yeah that's fair that seems reasonable we've been conditioned to accept you as our leader yeah michael ironside malcolm mcdowell yeah i feel like either of you guys <laughs> david warner it just makes sense you're in charge yeah we've seen it so often on screen so but he has kind of like a family of freaks i would say around him of mm-hmm. uh people who have extravagant clothing like mohawks body armor we don't know any of their stories, really. Probably the most intriguing one is named Skeletron. Yeah, he's wearing this mask the whole time. He has a buzzsaw for a hand. And yeah, most importantly, he not only has a thing that's got a buzzsaw on it, but the it can actually shoot spinning saw blades, which mm-hmm. is extremely effective. Bringing the knife to the guy with the shooting saw blades fight is a very <laughs> bad move. In the old expression, yeah. The kid discovers the crashed vehicle of his hero, the Turbo Rider. Right, which is cool because he, he's reading a comic about Turbo Rider at the beginning, and it just seems like, you know, a, a silly superhero comic. I guess the idea being it was like a promotional comic for like a government-sponsored superhero, kind of like Captain America or something. And he was part of the wars, we have to assume, mm-hmm. that he was a, a secret weapon, and he has a arm-mounted gun like in the in the form of a glove that can shoot a power blast kind of a laser gun thing and unfortunately though it is rather unpredictable in its energy usage yeah it seems to be out of batteries pretty often it tends to drop out when he really needs it plausibility so we have to think in terms of the world from a 1983 perspective what they thought was plausible at the time mm. in by 1997 there's a sort of divergent history thing going on where again we've got humanoid robots but cassette tapes so the way technology has advanced is uh, quite a bit different than how it did in the real world and not just war robots either there's also personal assistant robots and we learned that apple is actually a friendship robot I feel like as a friendship robot, she may have come on a little strong. (laughs) But on the other hand, it's kind of what he needed, this guy. He was very much into a solitary existence, just living in his underground bunker with all of the stuff he'd scavenged and his comic books. He needed someone to kind of burst through that and really be aggressive in seeking his friendship. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's what her programming told her to do. That's true. Maybe she adapts to whatever situation is needed. Yeah, so it, it's nice that there's an explanation for why she's a manic pixie dream girl. <laughs> it's, in, it's in her programming to be a, adorable. But what I liked was that when she ate food, he was like, you eat food? 
And she's like, yeah, I mean, you don't want to be reminded that your very best friend's a robot all the time. I was comparing her to the AI robot kid who the first time he eats food with his new family, and he's sort of a companion robot too. He's trying to replace their dead son. He shorts out because there's a direct line from the mouth to the inner circuitry. Right. That just seems poorly thought out. So how about acid rain? Uh, well, I mean, that's a real thing that exists. It happened. I mean, it was it's a fear still happening, technically. Of the 1980s. Yeah. Obviously, the acid rain in the movie is, it just sort of, uh, I guess it just kept getting worse. The implication is that a large portion of the reason of why the wasteland is there is because, like, acid rain literally burned stuff up. And killed the plants. Yeah. Yeah. And made the water toxic. Right. I remember as a kid always being slightly disappointed that when they say acid rain, it's just like water that the pH has slightly shifted. You were hoping it would be like hydrochloric acid. Well, not. I wasn't hoping. I mean, that would be bad. <laughs> but like it's, you... it's still a little disappointing when you're a kid just being like, oh, it's, it's just very slightly acidic. Enough to mess things up, but like quick not sand. enough to be cool. Yeah, like you can't quicksand. actually drown in quicksand. I've learned. Yeah, yeah. You just people die from exposure because they get caught in quicksand on a hot day. But you can't actually, if you really think about it, it's like, oh yeah, it's water mixed with sand, so it's denser than water, so you can't sink in it. Hmm. So I challenge you during the movie about one of the statements, which was when Zeus says that. The human body is about 10 gallons of water in it. And he was absolutely right. The maniac from the future is right. Mm. According to the internet, specifically Nestle water, a 70 kilogram man might be expected to have about 42 liters. So that's about 10 gallons. Should we be concerned that they did the calculation for that? <laughs> you think Nestle is thinking of turning us into water sources? Maybe. Very maybe possible. they aren't like, thinking of doing it immediately, but... They are, you know, just running it through their system to see what the, it's like, hmm, what does the cost of water have to get to before this starts becoming a viable business strategy? Right, before we start disappearing people. I don't say we're going to do it, but it, it would be useful to know when we should start doing it. Hmm. So yeah, there's a terrifying moment where we learn that all the water people have been drinking is actually from corpses. Mm-hmm. Which, considering that the, I mean, the population of the sort of area that we see is not that big, it does not seem to be a very sustainable move. If you don't have anything to lose, then you can't really maintain control over you. What about the uh, weapon, the glove? Could you make sense of that as far as it's an energy blast that really obliterates people completely? All this left is some blood. Right, yeah, which is actually, when it comes right down to it, one of the... Uh, less gory ways to kill people in this world is being turned into basically a cloud of blood. Yeah. That is actually preferable to some of the other things that happen to people. Maybe it's some kind of a microwave system that makes people, the water in people's bodies boil all at once. You can see that, yeah. That's one way that you could sort of explode like that. At the end, we find out that Zeus is actually also a robot. Uh -huh. And that he can also shoot some sort of energy beam thing, which seems to be similar but different to what Turbo Kid is using. Yeah, so the robots can shoot 
lasers out of their mouths. Some of them. Right. Probably. It makes sense that the friendship bot wouldn't be. Unfortunately, she does not able to do that. Right. She has to use conventional weapons like the stick with the gnome on it. Right. Uh, so hand-to-hand combat in general, which she's very good at. She is quite fast. And I like her technique is based around strike quickly and at vital parts. Eyes. Eyes, throat, genitals. Genitals. Yeah. Scariness. So it's probably on the level of a boy and his dog of grimness, right? Yeah. I mean, if your best case scenario is eking out a meager existence, scavenging among the ruins of humanity with everybody you meet probably trying to kill you. That's, you know, if you're lucky. (laughs) If -hmm. you're not lucky, then it could get much, much worse. They could turn you into water. Right. Or you get sliced by all sorts of different stuff. I mean, at the very beginning of the movie, the kid has like a trap where he catches this sort of weird mutated rat thing that scratches him on the cheek as he catches it. And for like the first half of the movie, I was so afraid that he was going to get like infected and he was going to die from this cheek scratch. That's something that could happen in this sort of nasty world where, you know, there's not a lot of antibiotics or anything around. Yeah, life right on the margins. It's like a choose-your-own-adventure where if you take any wrong path, you're dead. People are really surprised that he's still alive. Right. As he's saying, his... his parents were killed by Zeus when he was quite young and he rides off on his bike and they're like "Uh, don't worry about killing him you know the wasteland will do that for us but he has actually managed to sort of eke out a life and so the world is just reduced to a wasteland it's just toxic and barren Mm -hmm. as with Boy and his dog there doesn't seem to be any kind of production of stuff like everybody is sort of living off the dregs of the former civilization, right? There's everyone's scavengers and stuff. There isn't, there aren't any like farmers. Which I think is something that is sort of fun to think about in, in a weird way, that if the population was drastically reduced, how long could it survive on just all of the accumulated foods that we we have now? Mm. Gigantic stores of canned goods. Yeah, yeah. And it could be a while, but it's definitely doomed to end. Right. How would they do? I am a friendship robot Mm -hmm. uh, that was created for a very different world than the world that has turned out to be the case. You know, I was created to be friends with a little boy or a little girl who uh, needed somebody to hang out with them, you know, maybe while their parents were at work or something and play games with them and that sort of stuff. And then everything went to crap and the world was destroyed. The family that I was uh, living with uh, were all killed horribly. And I was, you know, thrown in some junk heap somewhere, put myself back together and started going around. But of course, the problem is that all my programming and things are not very well suited for this this new world. So what kind of programming have you found to be unadaptive? Some of the games and things, you know, that I was good at playing, stuff like hide-and-seek, turned out to be very useful <laughs> in uh-huh. this world. 
So what is your imperative? What is your programming telling you to do? That's re a real problem. I guess that could be considered to be a preference for finding somebody who I can uh, be friends with. And uh, unfortunately, the people that I would that I am drawn towards in terms of being friends with also tend to be the kind of people who get killed easily in the wasteland. Uh, hmm. Yeah. You tend to pick the tender ones, the ones that are not really set out for this life. Yeah, yeah. It works really well uh, when I'm with them, and it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. But there is a certain inevitability to it not being a, a long-term thing. So I'm a little uh, disappointed in the whole thing, I got to say. I've been traveling for quite a while, and it's been a couple of years since I met somebody else. I decided to just kind of head out across the wasteland. And after about, you know, six months of walking for 24 hours straight in one direction, I was starting to realize that perhaps that was a bad choice. But I haven't, because I haven't seen anybody else or any living thing in a while. So that's slightly concerning, but uh, we'll see how it goes. Just going to keep looking for a friend in that direction. Yeah. I am a member of Zeus's entourage, mm. a freak in his entourage. So when Zeus found me, I was just a young teen with my guardian, who's my great uncle, and Zeus demanded water, and he made as if to kill my uncle, and I killed my uncle instead. Zeus just chuckled and said, all right, kid, I like you. Come along with us. Never since then, life has been just as hard, just as dangerous, but a whole lot more exciting. Zeus provides entertainment in the form of bloody death matches. He provides drugs. And he provides a purpose in life, which is to rampage around and strike terror in the hearts of those who do not bow towards Zeus. What he likes about me is that I'm crazy, that I'll charge in and just kill everyone I can. Hmm. And I'm always first in line when they have some kind of new body modification at the compound. When there's branding going on, when there's piercing going on. So I started out as a fairly normal-looking wasteland kid. And now I'm something else entirely. I've become transformed. So I looked around me and I saw that all these amazing colorful costumes of my companions... And I knew I needed to be like that. I knew I wanted to be like that. And now I'm the most amazing of them all. So many layers of different armor, different fabrics, so bright there, purple and green. There's quite a, a sort of peacocking aspect to it. Exactly. There's an aspect of finding your identity and this is me. This is who I am. Mm -hmm. And You want it to be memorable when you slice somebody into little pieces mm -hmm. I want just the look of me to make people terrified so when I arrive in a camp people immediately give up and start giving me the water mm -hmm. all by myself even when I'm not with my crew my BMX bike is covered with spikes and more green and purple decorations the new guys often go for you know the black leather and skulls and stuff that is a, a newbie mistake yeah that's that's a cliche let's get creative here and I had a few different looks along the way, but now I've settled on something 
with a big set of bat wings behind me and purple and green scaly armor. Nice. Wasn't purple and green Macho Man Randy Savage was big with purple and green, I think. Yes, well, that's my secret is that I had all the WWF wrestling action figures and that's where a lot of my inspiration comes from. <laughs> nice. Hope for the future. So the good news is that they find some water. Mhm. Mm and I mean they kill Zeus, which is obviously good. Mhm. Mm the explosion that kills Zeus also uncovers a uh, underground spring with some clean theoretically clean water in it. So that's obviously great. Unfortunately, though, we lose Apple. She was protecting the kid in the explosion. You know, in terms of being a, a robot and being a friendship robot and all this kind of stuff, maybe she has fulfilled her purpose in that the kid who is sort of living this, this situation where he was kind of scavenging for stuff and just kind of living on his own in his little encampment with all the stuff that he'd scavenged things after encountering Apple and going through this sort of trial by fire, he's decided to go off and travel the wasteland, I guess, as and maybe try to uphold the Turbo Rider principles, the name, I guess. Mm -hmm. Well, he's a superhero, as he mm -hmm. said. And it looks like there's a lot of communities that could use some kind of superhero mm -hmm. to take out the big bully or resolve problems. I mean, any problems that can be resolved with a, with a gun, essentially. Right. I guess the world, you know, obviously the world is still destroyed and everything. It's not like everything is going to go be going to be better. But the world of this sort of little area that the movie takes place in has got to be better. I mean, there's plentiful water. Not only is Zeus dead, but a large portion of his gang is dead. Uh huh. Presumably, you know, there'll be a bit of a struggle for power. But Frederick says, uh, this water is going to save hundreds of people. Yeah. Just hundreds. Yeah, that doesn't seem terribly optimistic on his part. And uh, so, yeah, and then, you know, if you're in another, especially if you're in another nearby area and having trouble, then maybe Turbo Kid will come and help. Yeah, so he's found some hope for himself, at mm -hmm. least. Some purpose beyond just surviving. Hope for his future. Rule number six. Yes. Always carry a weapon. And seven, if you don't have one, make one. Make one. Making a weapon. Ah. This is so pretty. This is my weapon. This is my gnome stick! Ah! Ah! I really like it a lot. Thank you so much. A reunion. How sweet. I'm real happy for you kids, I am. But unless we all want to end up with that giant fucking blender over there, we need a plan, okay? So listen up, I'm gonna take the fat one. He might be strong, but he'll be slow. You take the big guy. Yeah, you're gonna have to surprise him. You two take the ugly one, okay? Well, what's the matter, kid? Are you scared? Yeah. Fear is good. 
use it as a weapon. Yeah. The girl, what is that thing, a dwarf? No, that's my gnome stick. Okay, whatever. I want you to swing it as hard as you can at that motherfucker's face, yeah? Sir, yes, sir! I guess that was our cue. That was Turbo Kid, as covered by Fight the Future with Dan and Paul. It's nice to do this one for our last episode, because it was, if you listen to the opening theme song for the podcast, it was a large part of the sort of inspiration for that. Yeah, I literally sent it to our composer, Bradley Rains and said, I want something that sounds exactly like this. <laughs> Along with some music like um, Outrun, Kandinsky. Mm. If you're into uh, that kind of... Kavinsky. Scary, dystopian synthesizer type music, this movie is great for that. Yeah, the soundtrack is wall-to-wall amazingness. And, uh, yeah, even though it's grim, there's that note of hope at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, make sure that you maybe don't, don't you know, be eating something while you're watching movie. It is uh, extremely gory. Yeah, there were times when I was quite nauseated. <laughs> so, last ever dystopia. There's so many others we haven't covered. We'll talk about some of this in our next episode, final episode, which will be a clip show and a recap. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll try to talk about some of the things we've learned and things that we would like to talk about. Let you know, I guess, about the whole process, the project. Pull back the curtain to the magic that I'm sure you're wondering about. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but it's been really great. Like, we watched this movie together and uh, it's really helped me to feel closer to you, bro. I'm really glad we're doing this because mm-hmm. I'm 8,500 kilometers away. Yeah. Uh, and as always, this is sponsored by our Patreon at patreon.com slash loading ready run. Thank you, everybody who has contributed there. That is uh, our wonderful thing that it shows that you guys really do like this kind of content either this or all the other things we do it's amazing that such a thing can actually work but but yeah you're supporting grassroots creativity like this podcast is just me and my brother deciding to make a podcast with no money and no corporate sponsorship or any compensation of any kind i mean not not that it like if a corporate sponsor had you know come up and been like hey we want to be associated with dystopias Please talk about our product. We may have considered it. No. Coca-Cola actually approached me, emailed me. They wanted to give us $500,000. I said, no, fuck you. Anybody from Coca-Cola listening, give me a call. All right. We will uh, talk to you next time. For the last time. One more time. And may the odds ever be in your favor. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.
Ci vediamo! <ride> Perfetto!